Good evening, everybody. Friday night, 12th day of Q&A and 49th day of our non-stop ministry. So we are here with you once again. We got loads of questions from around the world and uh, from Hyderabad too. So as we go to the question and answer session, keep sending your questions. Keep sending them. And we'll continue to pray that we have an I see how much it's helping people. Because one person asked a question and so many others had the same doubt. And you know, others who did not have that doubt at least won't go that route again or won't get tripped into that in life. So your questions really helps. So before we go to the question answer session, Pastor Vijay, could you please lead us in prayer once again? Father, we just thank you once again, Lord, for this evening. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity, Lord, that you've given to us, that we could, Father, spend this time together in, in Father, looking at the questions that your children have. Father, if there is only one teacher, that is you, the Holy Spirit, and you and you alone have all the answers. You don't, you don't only look at the question, Lord, you also look at the questioner. You know what everyone and each individual is going through, the struggles that they, that they're going through, the circumstances that have, that they have come through. Father, that you are the one who empathizes with every situation. And this evening, Father, even as we discuss these questions that you Grant us wisdom, O Lord, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we'll be able to, Lord, be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And when we open our mouth, O Lord, Father, it will be, Father, the answer will be according, close to your heart and according to your word, O Lord Jesus. Grant us that grace this evening, O Lord. Commit all of us into your hands. Commit everyone who's tuned in into your hands. Grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And grant us, O Lord Jesus, grace that we'll be able to speak the truth in love. We thank you. We praise you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, Pastor Vijay, here we are. So, uh, we'll start with some family-related questions. Very simple questions from children. I'm just going to not mention any names. Uh, question is from a mother. Question number? Uh, it's not here, Pastor. It's just oh, okay, okay. It's a very... Ra- so, okay. uh, will reading and memorizing scripture work against children if they are not saved? Um, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Uh, how do we know that our children are saved? What are the signs that they have, that they will show? Uh, reading and memorizing scripture does not damage a child at all. It actually helps the child. All the children, the Jewish heritage, learn from. They began their life from memorizing scripture, and Jesus too grew up that way. And then, uh, uh, that's not the kind of knowledge that puffs up. Please understand what it, what is the knowledge that puffs up, which makes you feel you are better than somebody else. That's the knowledge. Okay. That's not the knowledge we are talking about here at all. And, uh, see, it's, it's like, uh, because there's some others who are asking the question. This is like labor. Some of these expectant mothers go to the labor room and before you know, they have delivered. Mm. Some of you are there for two days, three days, then you discharge and come back 
and then you go again a week later, again you are for 24 hours labored. No? So it's like salvation. It's not that everybody can pinpoint. Okay, pinpoint and say, I know exactly this is the hour and the minute I was born again. And some of these children who grew up in godly homes, they can't even say when they were born again. And they were born again. Mm. They were born again. Okay, they were born again. So, uh, the outward sign, of course, is when they say they want to get baptized and we baptize them. But honestly, nobody's, some people like it spectacular. They have that experience. But children who grow up in godly homes, in churches where the word of God is preached and they hear and altar calls are made, it can happen anytime and some of them are already saved and they don't even know it. Mm-hmm. And anyway, we put such a, what we call protected environment in it. So they grow up that way. But like I said, the test is when they are released, mm-hmm. like Daniel and Joseph. That is when they will know and we will know. It's not that they were not even saved if they fall. No, it is not that. They were not properly equipped. Okay, just because somebody falls, you cannot say he was not saved Saved, because no, that's not. Only thing that they were not strengthened and they were not prepared for an eventuality like that. So ultimately we'll have to release our children and then we will know how they go about it. No, the prodigal son was not, uh, he fell away and he came back. He came back. Okay, he came back to his father's house. So, we keep teaching them, keep them memorizing. It's a lot of stuff which you can only do when you are young. Hmm. Memorizing is one of those things. When you come to my age, I struggle with memorizing. And Pastor Vijay memorized when he was young. Hmm. Mathematical brains, so he finds it easy. <laughs> but children can memorize at that age. And we should see they memorize the right thing and not junk. Another question is, when when is the best age to tell our children about the lovemaking part. The sex part, mm-hmm. yes. They read a lot in the Bible about it. They ask questions. I don't know how to answer. Children are naturally inquisitive. And my prayer has been that the inquisitiveness should lead them to life and not sin. I've been telling them babies are born when a couple gets married. When they pray to Jesus, he puts them in a mother's womb. The child asks me, then why do women pray for a baby and about them? How can lizards pray and have babies? Jesus sent us into your womb, but how did we get there? From where do the babies get in? Non-believers don't pray to Jesus, so how do they get their babies? Mary was not married, and she did not even pray for a baby. Then how did she get pregnant? One of the first, yeah, when children will ask this question, they can come. But when you, the nature of their question, you will understand whether it is genuine doubt or it is more than that with your child. There is a curiosity that comes from a dangerous side. Mm, the fallen, the fallen, okay, the fallen nature. nature. And that is where the parent has to be used discernment. Used discernment. Okay. Generally inquisitive children will be inquisitive about everything. But out of the blue, those who are not really inquisitive comes and asks these kind of questions. Then instead of, I would say as a parent, Instead of answering that question, you should ask them questions as to why are you coming up with with these doubts now? Mm. 
Where did you hear about this now? Is it strictly from the Bible? There are so many things in the Bible and how come you never ask me any questions connected with that? You are only interested about this. Where? What is that is causing you? Because then we need to find out the source. If the source is a dangerous source or, but ultimately they will, they will, they will ask. And to answer it to them, you have to look at their spiritual maturity and their real maturity, how much you need to tell them and how much you, how much, but you have to be very, very wise about how you answer it because they don't want, you don't need them to get to know from the wrong sources what it is. So you all, you have to use that parental discernment to see where they are getting because parents know their children, especially the mothers know their children. So the mother should know where is this coming from, <laughs> where it is coming from. Each child is different, and this one is asking the question, is it normally like that? But it is not normal. So what caused it? Not to cause them to fear and hide and all, but why? Where have you been talking this? With whom have you been discussing this? How come this is? Because girls will, boys all will talk. Ultimately, they will talk all these things. And it is good they talk with their parents than get it from wrong sources. Yes, Pastor. Another question related to the family and abortion, etc. Pastor, it's a little serious question. Okay. <sighs> I understand that abortion is absolutely wrong. This is, okay. Question number two. Two. Uh, however, you have, you have certain situations such as ectopic pregnancy where the zygote, a fused egg and sperm but not an embryo, embeds onto the fallopian tube. Mm. In the world, it is instantly suggested by doctors to abort the zygote because the mother is at risk of losing her life. The fallopian tube will burst, killing her. How would you counsel a believing children, a Christian mother who has an ectopic pregnancy? I've okay. heard, yeah. etc. Yeah, we'll, that's first question. Yes. Yeah. Second one. I have heard that a particular person's daughter had a son through in vitro fertilization. Uh, the person was a frozen egg. The daughter heard about this embryo and did not want the embryo to be discarded. So the daughter and her husband adopted the embryo by allowing herself to be implanted and went ahead with the pregnancy. The whole concept of frozen embryo embryos is a very troubling topic. It is clear to me that it's man's attempt to play God. Was this situation judged, judged correct, correctly by the couple by resolving uh, the situation with, with allowing herself to be implanted into her? To have okay. the baby implanted. Okay, the these are two different, kind of similar, but two different situations. First, we'll look at the, I understand that abortion is absolutely wrong. However, you have certain situations. Now, we are not putting, uh, this is a very different case when you talk about this kind of, I mean, gynecologists will understand it better. One of the first things I would ask you is when they call the zygote, a fused egg and sperm, but are not embryo yet embeds in the uh, fallopian tube. So I would first ask you is, is it always a hundred percent case where every time it happens? Or do you also have cases, as far as my memory goes in hearing, uh, there have been also cases where I think it has, it has happened. So I don't know, I could be wrong, but somewhere I know. I understand this concept about conceiving in the fallopian tube. So my question to you is first find out are there other cases also where it survived. On the other hand, if the medical history is 
that it does not survive at all, 100%, it does not survive at all. Does it survive, Dr. Richard? Never does. It never does. Okay, so the doctor here says, so what is the medical option you will give in such a case? Yeah. Okay, and it automatically goes on its own. Yeah, so the, the, the counsel here is what we say, it never happens. It does not, uh, you cannot have a baby. So in that case, you will have to go by the, I would say you will have to go by the, and you are going by the medical counsel, which is not morally invalid. No, exactly. It is not. It's not morally. No, you have to look at it as a situation and you will see it is not morally invalid. And uh, you allow the that that zygote to go. That's how I would read it, and you don't have to feel guilty about it, because if there is no chance of survival, and God wanted that to survive, I would believe you would have allowed it to be properly in the uterus, right? Yes. Yeah, it should have been in the uterus, but because it didn't happen there, and there is no chance of survival at all, and you are risking the mother, I would allow. I would say. You allow it to go. Okay, that's how I would read it. Because these are all, remember, these are all because of the breakdown of humanity down. And I'm not talking about the person who conceives. I'm talking about down the line, 6,000 years, the human body is deteriorating. And that's what we see. The second question is about, it's a much more stranger question, but we have it happening. Uh, somebody's daughter had her son. Luke was a frozen embryo, not the father's sperm or the mother's egg. It was a frozen one, probably in one of these uh, fertility labs and uh, clinics. And this daughter and her husband adopted the embryo by allowing herself to be implanted and went ahead with the pregnancy. The whole concept of frozen embryos is a very troubling topic. It's clear to me that it's man's attempt to play God. So since I'm sure it's not clear to you, because if it was clear to you, you wouldn't write this question. You still <laughs> doubt that's why you asked this question. The question is, was this situation judged correctly by the couple by resolving? First thing I would say, leave it alone, because it's not your problem. It's somebody else's problem. You happen to be privy to that knowledge, so keep it. Don't have to worry about it unless you have to take a decision like that because these are very, very difficult uh, situations or decisions. We cannot give you a foolproof this thing because these things were not there when the Bible was written. So we can only go by general principle about how we judge each situations. Mm. Okay, we can only like 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 I could I could say that if you read from Genesis one to Revelation twenty two twenty one. I didn't see God prescribing medicines for any of the people who were ill in the Bible. Does that mean we negate doctors and uh, medicine? No. We, no, we don't. <laughs> okay, we don't. Okay, there are doctors and there are medicines, there is surgery, all kind of things that has happened over there. But if you look into the Bible, do you see any of these things? No. No. So you need to realize the Bible also talks about Romans chapter 3, uh, 12 and verse 3, which says, according to the faith you have. Exactly. Mm. You know, I may have faith which may be greater than somebody, and I do not tell them, you better do the way I do it, but the person may not have that faith. Mm. 
according to the faith, okay? And we don't bring the moral picture into all of this because uh, it would be, it would be like, no, even Jesus' healings, if you look at it, there was instant, there was word spoken, there was one step, there was two step, and some, I think there was three step also. So, we don't have one cap fits all. The only thing is that God is also this wisdom, this knowledge. It's only when you pervert it for evil purposes, it becomes evil. Mm. Okay? Think about a f- husband and a wife who've been married and they cannot have babies. They cannot have babies. And now this is available. This is available. Okay? And uh, they use this concept. Okay, so it's not man's attempt to play. I don't see it as man's attempt to play God. I see man using the wisdom that God is giving. God is giving. It's only when you pervert it and use it for evil purposes. Okay, that's where we have to be very, very, very careful about it. That's where when they are doing what they call, I think they call about designer babies and DNA slicing to create. Then that is playing God. Mm. That is playing God. Okay, not necessarily you need to have a baby and there is this, uh, what do you call it, the frozen embryo. Okay, and it is between those two people. Mm. It is if they, okay, it is, like I said, it is actually somebody else's child, somebody else's sperm and somebody else's egg frozen and implanted into another person's uh, womb. Okay, so the baby that is coming out, this is neither actually the father, nor is this the mother. She's the, what you call the surrogate mother, primarily, primarily. It is basically that. Now, if you look at it, we don't know what exactly Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Joseph is not the father. Joseph is not the father. The seed is God. God, okay? So, you will realize... <laughs> Uh, even if somebody thought this was possible, it must have been a Christian doctor who thought it was possible because something like this seems to have happened in history. Okay, so you will have to, so you have to be very careful about these things that let it be an individual decision. Let them talk to their pastor and get counseling, whether, and then move it on. We are not making it into a worldwide rule or anything yes. like that. Okay, so we have to be very, very careful because we need to realize it's when we get hard and fast on things which are not clear in the Bible that there are hardline Pentecostals who will rather die than take medicine because they say it is forbidden in the Bible. Forbidden in the Bible. And I tell them it is not forbidden in the Bible. If you say something is forbidden, then it should be also written in the Bible. You cannot do it. Mm. Okay, That's not said in the Bible at all that you cannot do it. Because a lot of stuff we naturally eat are medicinal. Okay, now my question to you, to such Pentecostals, I ask them is that, let me ask you this question. When Hezekiah fell ill, yes. and he cried to the Lord, oh, yes. and Isaiah was sent and said, you're going to die, put your life in order. And uh, he cried to the Lord, and Hezekiah was asked to go back. Why didn't Hezekiah just pronounce healing over him, say, you shall live for 15 years? He had a some boil, something it was, and it was terminal. He would have going gone going to die because of it. But he was asked to make a paste, a poultice of figs, and apply it. Why did God have to do that? 
Yes. Maybe God have to do that. And that's that looks like applying medicine mm-hmm. to a sore. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's very clear it is figs and it's not apple, it's not orange. Okay, so these things are there in the Bible, so we are we have to be very wise about how we give counsel. No, because sometimes counsel can be a man's opinion and not does not subscribe to the word of God. So let each one, each family handle it, meet their pastors, receive counsel and let it go that way. But I don't think they are playing God. Amen. So this is question number one, Pastor. Um, one. I listened to the Q&A session on the 7th of May. I heard my question regarding the topic of LGBTQ being answered. Mm. I understand that one solution would be to move to a red state where liberal theologies are not strong, are not strong ideology. Mm. However, not everyone can or is called by God to move out of a liberal state like NY. Mm. You have churches like TSC that has been called to stand as light in NYC. I do not see God asking everyone to move out of TSC to a red state because of these state laws that have been passed in NYC. Okay. Now, when you ask this question, like I said, when when we were classroom teachers, we always looked at the weakest students because the smart ones didn't need much teaching. They Hmm. could pick up pretty. So we always will look at and ask if this one understood, then everybody understood. Okay. So whenever we give answers, certain questions like this, we are trying to help the ones who are weak in faith. If you are strong in faith, then you can handle the situation. But if you are weak in faith and you cannot handle this daily pressure from the system with the state, mm. now, no, now, with the, in the US, now some of the states, they are actually asking the children to spy on the parents by giving numbers to report if the parents are not maintaining social distancing. That's to to the extremes, like this is a free country where you're going. This is stuff that happens in China and the old Russian republics and all, no, totalitarian regimes do stuff like that. So when a system becomes like that, when your personal liberty and freedom that you do not have parental rights, then my question is, if you don't have the faith and the prayer life and the word life to handle that kind of pressure, then uh, your life and the, your life of your children is more important than that's when I say, okay, move to a state where the pressure is less, where you can handle it. That's the solution given to people who are not able to clearly define their situation or define a solution that can take is that. But if you are strong, and but then not TESC, there are plenty of good godly churches in in US, plenty of them, hundreds of them. You don't probably do not. And I could tell you like that in in that countryside. I've heard preachers, simple preachers of small countryside churches, maybe fifty people out of the blue. I find them on the internet. I listen to them. They are absolutely powerful on their money, keeping their 50. Please don't look at the number of your church and think that's the only church. I'm telling you, you will have no clue when the day comes and you really see pastors from third world countries rising up on God's day and you will realize they never compromised on the word of God 
ever. And they were absolutely on their money. So TSC is there. It is put in Times Square Church. That doesn't mean there are in other churches, in other places where you can't be used. That is where the leading of the Lord comes. Yes, TSC is over there. But even in Times Square, there are plenty of churches which you do not know. We ourselves, let me tell you, have 12 underground churches in New York City. And you have no clue of, about it at all. Much stronger than TSC. Much stronger than TSC. Okay? Every church has its purpose and all. But you do not allow your emotional attachment to a church from being moved from God. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in Hyderabad. I don't like this city. I was not born in this city. I never grew up in this city. Till today, I do not like this city. Why am I here? Because I know God wants me here. Okay, So we are not emotionally attached to one particular body of Christ. We are attached to God. Mm -hmm. And when God tells move, we move. Otherwise, what will happen... Our church will become our idea. Even my church, I'll tell the people, you're not called to stay here. When God tells you to move, you need to move. And those who are called to stay, they stay. So, um, God is not asking anybody to move from anywhere. But you have to be able to hear and you have to make your decisions according to your faith. As a pastor in my church, when I counsel people, I counsel them according to that. I tell them this is the truth. When we teach also, we teach here. That doesn't mean we condemn anybody who falls short. But you have to show this is what is possible. Jesus says, if I'm right in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your father is in heaven is perfect. Does that mean all those who don't perfection, he kicks them out? No. He says, this is what you need to aim for. In English, we say, aim for the stars. You may reach at least the treetops. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we put that up there. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean if somebody doesn't reach there, that doesn't mean they are disqualified, they are, they are ejected out of the kingdom. But it is our job to show what is possible by faith. So when you look at it over there, you have to realize that some people will be able to stay in Times Square and handle the same pressure. Some people may not be able to handle it. And each one has to hear personally from Christ and then may to go to some of those. And God will move them. If God, see, you have to always realize God is in absolute control of every life. And our job individually as parents is to actually hear from God, clearly hear from God, and it will be confirmed through somebody else. No, like in the Nepali session, Agabus came. Yeah, and he spoke to Paul. And Paul said, no, I need to go to Jerusalem. And, uh, no, so God will confirm it. No, he saw a vision of a man from Macedonia. Mm. And he consulted, I believe, with the rest of us. We will go. And because it was confirmed through. So God will always send confirmation for his children. And if you're sending you to say, let us say, uh, red state, smaller red state up there, I don't know whether Montana is a red state, small states like Idaho, Montana, small states, population of 2 million, 3 million. Now my city has more than, uh, this city has more people than some of the states in US. A state like that, small countryside, he opens a door for you and says, this is where I want you to be. And it may have nothing even to do with you. This is something which parents need to understand. This has got nothing, sometimes something, nothing has to do with you. It's your child who may be called. It's your child who may be called. 
and you go, you move for the sake of your child. God's own son, Jesus, was taken by his foster father and mother and hidden in Egypt because it was not about them. Mm. It was about him. Mm. And they came and they lived in Nazareth all their year life, not in Bethlehem because it had nothing to do with them. It was God to do with him because he would be the, the man from Nazareth. So sometimes it has got nothing to do with us. Uh, left to Hannah, she would have liked to go to Shiloh. But for Samuel's sake, she did not go for five years. You know why? Because it was about him. That's why parents have to put it all on the altar and say, because sometimes a move God tells you to make have nothing to do with you. It could be with one child. You may have ten children. It could be about one child, because that is the one that is called of God. And everybody's life is now centered around it, because you have to move as a family, because one child has been called by God. It's a sacrifice a family makes. That's how you have to look at it. One boy called Joseph had to be taken out, put in Egypt, so that 72 people would move in there 22 years later. We do not understand God's ways unless we hear from him and we put ourselves on the altar because it's got nothing to do with us. That's why that prayer of Jesus Christ, he taught us to pray, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will be done. <clears throat> Sometimes when his will is done, the parents realize they have no say in that matter. Amen. No say in that matter. Yeah. The second part of the question. Yeah. Uh, is also what? What about parents? Uh, what about parents? A couple who got saved recently in New York City, but unfortunately have raised their child for ten to thirteen years since their births, who live in the ways of the world, suddenly have to change their household rules to the ways of God. Not every has everybody has been called to leave. Uh, Again, like no, not call. How would you counsel them? Support them? Counsel them? Okay. If you have not been called to leave and you are very sure about it. And they raised a child for 10, 13 years and now all these rules have come over there. What I would say is, uh, they got saved. Uh, personal conviction, who, whether they that saved or a minor, there's difference in say walking. But whatever parents or a couple who saved recently, but unfortunately they raised their child into, what I would, this is one of the most Spiritual things you could do, the parents sit down with the child and ask for forgiveness. Say that, but we, we did not know. We are very absolutely open. I did not know this is, this was the right thing. But now I have come to know the Lord and this is the truth. I want to sit with you and tell you the truth. This is the truth and then give because the child is already 10 to 13 years old and in US cases, it's almost like being an adult. At that age, they know everything and say, this is the truth. This is what daddy and mommy believes in. We raised you up differently, but this is the route we are going to take. You have the freedom to choose your way. But this is the way we are going and we will help you through. If you want to make the transition like we have made, we will help you through it. We will pay, pray you through to it, but we will still, still uh, respect your liberty to choose because I always feel the freedom to choose is sacred. God gave it. That's why he allows people to choose and go to hell. He gave that freedom. He didn't put a barbed wire fence around the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He told them, if you eat, you will die, and still left them with the autonomy to make those choices. So when our children grow old and they choose to make spiritually wrong decisions, we let them do it and go. Mm. But we do not follow them. We don't follow them. And we tell them, I cannot follow the path you take. That's what the prodigal son's father did. 
He gave them the autonomy. He gave them the power to make the wrong choice and go away. The only thing the father did is that he did not subscribe to his ideology. He did not follow him. Once he was gone, he was gone. And he waited until he came to his senses and returned. That's a pain of parenthood. That doesn't mean we condemn them, we are angry with them, we are mad with them, we only tell them we don't agree with you. Oh. That's how you would do it. Stuff, yes. Question number three, Pastor. But pray, trust God when you sit down and talk to your child that they will always have favor, that someday, because that is the way how you come across is what is important in that case, because you were wrong, not the child was wrong. You were wrong. The child was ignorant. You raised up the child for 13 years this way. Now you have come to the Lord. Now humble yourself. Okay, humble yourself before the child and acknowledge all these years dad was wrong. I see, uh, we will, we will do that in other areas. Other areas. Right? We will do that in other areas, but why not in spiritual areas? Why not in spiritual areas? If I am an illiterate father and this is my son and he comes from college and he tells me, Dad, that's not the way to do it. You know, suddenly we appreciate secular education. We say, wow, thank you, son. I did not know that. But when it comes to spiritual things, we are not willing to humble ourselves because everybody thinks that in those areas we don't need to humble ourselves. But those are the areas we need to humble. You see, I was wrong. I thought this was right. It is wrong. And now I humble myself. Daddy was wrong, mommy was wrong. Now we believe this is the truth, but we give you the freedom. And I trust God will I think trust when once they see the genuine conversion, yeah, the, the child, child, child also child will know also, it. Yeah. It's not easy to yeah. hide that. Question number three says, after mom and dad got a divorce when I was nine, and I'm 23 now, and have no interest in any relationships. Have no in- interest, meaning I'm afraid, and people say, uh, and people say it's my age. Do you think I'm being abnormal as mentioned by many? It's You're not being abnormal. You're just fearful. This always happens uh, with children who come from broken homes because they will go one way or other. One way is that they will do everything to save their marriage. They get married, even if it's a wrong person, they will do fight to save a marriage because they value because they lost it when they were growing up. A lot of people who come from normal, comfortable homes don't value homes because it was a normal for them. It was a normal for them. So they don't understand what it is to be coming from a broken home. So a lot of kids who come from broken homes always hunger and thirst. They experienced a home once, they lost it. Now, I'm not talking about orphans. I'm talking about those children who come from broken homes and then therefore they will fight. I've seen that fight to have a home and really, really value. And and some of them are very, very afraid to get married because they always think, will this happen to me too? And they're very scared of relationships, which, which is childish. I know you. Uh, I'm not mentioning your name. I know who this one is. Uh, not here, in another country. So, you know, very scared, uh, very scared of relationships. And, uh, but I would say take it to the Lord. Uh, I would always say like, you know, if you look, I will always say the pattern is found in Genesis 2. In the beginning, God made Adam, put him in the garden. And 
God is the one who said it's not good for Adam to be alone. He needs somebody, helper, to fellowship primarily. And I believe like Narnia, all the animals could talk actually. They didn't have, they were not smart like men, human beings, but they could talk. Otherwise, when the snake talked uh, to Eve, if it was a real conversation, she would have cried and ran to Adam by saying, Amma, a snake is talking. So they were very familiar with, I think, animals talking and the judgment outside the garden is they stopped talking. We do not know. I'm, I'm, pres- I'm assuming. It's just throwing it in the wind. But God brought all the animals to Adam and Adam named all of them. And there was none among them that was suitable for Adam. Yes. Okay. Then scripture says he put man to sleep. And that he took a rib out and made a woman. But scripture does not definitely tell you how long Adam was sleeping. Yes. How long he kept him in that. Some people, men are still sleeping. They haven't woken up. <laughs> okay. How long he kept him like that, we do not know. The reason is that, you know, before God created Eve, he saw to that Adam had a very close relationship with God. And I believe that he kept Adam sleeping for a little while so that Eve could also have a relationship with her father, with her God. Mm. Okay? So the problem is, a lot of marriages are shaky because you try to find in your marriage which only God can give. That's the thing. God can give. There's something which only God can. He put eternity in my heart. Mm. That will never be met by any human being because there's only one who is eternal. So one of the first things is that people, when they have a very close and what a confident relationship with God, they are able to handle marriage better. Because there's no unrealistic expectations from their spouse, whether it's a man or a woman. It's not unreal. There are realistic expectations within the word of God, but they are not looking for something which God can do to them. So my answer to you, child, is first you go to God. And you know, I see your some of your profiles and all. I know you are struggling. And I'm telling you, child, go to God, talk to Him every day, have a very good, comfortable, confident relationship with God, your Father. Once you have that, everything will start falling into place. Everything will start falling into place. Then God will show you the man who you need. You're not being abnormal. You're just being fearful. Okay, and all the others, don't listen to what others say, because each one is different. But what is should be similar about all of us is our relationship with God. We need to have a very confident relationship with God, which brings stability in our relationships with everybody. Yes. Okay, like Jacob still did not have a stable relationship with God. Therefore, what happened is when, uh, when uh, Joseph presumed dead, he fell apart. Hmm. Well, Abraham had a very stable relationship with God, so though even, even though he was upset, he didn't fall apart when he sent Ishmael out. Hmm. He didn't fall apart. You know, sometimes when children go away, parents fall apart. You know, when spouse dies, the other person just falls apart. Hmm. Okay, but God says, I never told your spouse to be God. I told your wife to be wife, a husband to be a husband, and a child to be a child. The only one who will be with you till the very last breath is me. Mm. Even marriage is unto death. But he goes beyond that. Okay, I will be with you all the time. Always. So we have to make those distinctions. 
Which actually brings a very healthy marriage. Yes. It's it's a thing that if you have a healthy relationship with God, yeah. that health flows into every other relationship, and you you have only a, that healthy relationship. God is very very important. Yes. You have to be absolutely very very it's sure it is a healthy relationship with God, because otherwise it can be like a crazy relationship also, where actually you don't have a healthy relationship with God. Uh, you think you have a healthy mm-hmm. relationship with God, but actually you don't care. Mm-hmm. You don't care. You need to realize if you look at the prophets and the apostles who were loners and walked, they really yeah, loved and people. And yes, people. They, loving God is one thing. You know Elijah loved God, but you know he was broken over the people too. Yes. That is the key. That's why God said this door has only two hinges. Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The second part is very important to judge the first one. Hmm. And the first one is very important to judge the second, second one. Please remember, because there are a lot of people who say, I love God with all my heart, and they are sadhus sitting in the Himalayas. And God says, it doesn't work like that. A lot of them in the Middle Ages locked up in monasteries and sat there, never wanted to mingle with anybody. God said, I didn't make you into that. You are not of the world, but you are sent into the world. You have, it is both. Both has to be there. You love God, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Man. Yes. Pastor, the question is, uh, which number? Five. Five. Is a little t- tough. I mean. Oh, this is one of the ones which we answered. Dear Pastor, thank you for taking, yeah, yes, Pastor. Pa- pa- dear Pastor, thank you for taking the time to answer my question. Where I am right now, I literally have no one to confide in. It's not about the lockdown for years. I have no one to even talk to. Please pray I don't kill myself because of guilt and condemnation. Okay, first, don't kill yourself. And God has taken your guilt and your condemnation away. Okay, please understand that. Okay. I, talking to everyone who is listening now, please deal with this issue. If you have truly repented and confessed, God has forgiven you. And God's forgiveness doesn't matter, doesn't have anything to do with how you feel about it. He's forgiving us for what we have done when we have repented and confessed because of what His Son did. Mm. His son did. Okay? What is son? The son paid the price in full. And God is forgiving me because his son has paid the price and I'm acknowledging that before God. That's all we can do. Mm. Please remember, otherwise, how would a man like David come through? He's a very sensitive man when it comes to things of God. And look at what he did. It's like human perspective, we look at it's unforgivable. I can forgive Saul. I cannot forgive David. It's what lots of people say. The fact is God forgave him. And he did not walk with guilt and condemnation. He did not walk with guilt and condemnation. Okay, And that's what scripture says in Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation. He's taken it away. There is sorrow. Yes. That's a different thing. Sorrow and guilt are two different things. You will feel sorry. I wish. That's what he says. I wish Absalom I had died in your place. That's not guilt. That is sorrow. That is sorrow. I wish. You know, I wish, and a lot of parents have sorrow about their children. They have put it right with God, and they, I wish I had trained you better, I had counseled you better. I wish. A lot of people have that, but that is not guilt, and that is not condemnation. So please, guilt and condemnation is from the devil. Fight it. Reject it. Renounce it. Do not receive anything that is not from God. God doesn't give you guilt. He convicts you. He doesn't condemn, condemn you. 
He doesn't condemn you. Please remember that. He and, never does. And David also had the assurance that I'm going to see him, but he's yeah, not going to come to me. Come that, back to that. That, no? that assurance that was assurance there. also always was there. Sorrow was, there. was there, but that assurance yeah. So please deal with that. Okay. And uh, talk to God. Talk to God and ask God, send me a true friend. You may have uh, issues, couple of because you may have trust issues, I'm, I'm guessing. You have literally no one to confide. So you may have trust issues. So God, talk to God. Confide to God. Look at David. Who did he have he could confide to? Hmm. He had nobody. Jonathan was there, but Jonathan was a split personality. He knew David was the loyal one, chosen by God. And he was loyal to David, saved him with his life, but he died with his father. A lot of people like that. They, They are caught between the spirit and the flesh. When David left, he should have gone with David. He would have been David's right-hand man, the one they would have trusted with his life. But he died with the wrong person at the wrong place. And there are a lot of people like that. Okay, so please remember, talk to God. So David had never had a friend. So all his psalms, you will see, he takes at God as his friend. And he pours his heart to God. And God talks to him. So talk to God and God will send somebody. Yes, Pastor. Question, question seven, I think it's also seven. the same. Things are better, but I'm so confused about life. Thoughts of suicide attack me constantly. Yeah, that's demonic. Remember, the thoughts of suicide is because of what you have been going through. And suicide is always a demonic attack because he wants you to cut short your life before you become something in the Lord. So that's always from. That's the spirit of suicide. Okay, It's a spirit, spirit of death that follows you around negate those thoughts and you have to confess it with your mouth. I will never kill myself. Amen. That's a no-no. I will never do that. I will never kill myself because life, I, the life was given by God and I will not take it away. He is the only one who can take it away from me. I say that, straight up say that and say, I renounce the spirit of suicide. Leave me in Jesus' name. You have to confess these things out and confess a positive that I will not die, but live. Psalm 118, 17, I will not die. One of the ways people die is through suicide. I will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And all of you are hearing and you are not well. Some of you are not well. I know around quite a few of you are not well. Just open your mouth and keep confessing, I will not die. This COVID-19 is not going to kill me. Amen. It will clean me out. But I will live and declare the works of the Lord. Do not fear. Question number eight says, we need to hear clearly, clearly, how do we know it is God and not our imagination? Why are we so afraid after we got saved? We never were such losers. Okay, this is from people who came out of the circle. Okay, it will take time to hear clearly. Okay, children, please remember some of you are very, very young and some of you are old, but you're all children in the Lord. Uh, this clarity of hearing from God will take a little time because it's not that you cannot hear. You will always doubt, is it this God or not? It, uh, it, will, it will happen as you grow in the Lord. And growing in the Lord is growing also in the knowledge of God. Remember, there are these three things. One is, we take it as a triangle. One is the Word of God. So meditate upon the Word of God day and night. And when I'm talking about the Word of God, I'm not talking like our little children memorizing scripture. No. no. 
it is understanding the ways of God through the word of God. You can memorize scripture and never understand the ways of God like the Pharisees. They memorized scripture, they didn't understand the ways of God. There could be somebody else who did not memorize scripture but understand the ways of God very well. Know the ways of God, that is the word of God. The second is the spirit of God. And the third is the person of God. There is the word of God. There is the spirit of God. And there is the person of Christ. Sometimes you will know the word and you also feel like the spirit is telling you. But you still look at it and say, but from what I understand about God in the Bible, he still wouldn't do it. So sometimes the devil can speak like the Holy Spirit the word of God and make you to do something, but you realize it does not fit in with the person of God. God won't do something like that. God won't do something like that. Okay, that's the confidence Abraham has when I believe when he takes Isaac and goes on the three-day journey. Okay, he said it, and God who said it, but I also know the person of God. Even if he dies, he'll give it back. Mm. This is not a God who takes child sacrifices. This is not a God who kills babies. This is a God who saves babies. So you have a confidence, though you have heard and the word of God, the spirit of God, but you know this doesn't still fit in with the person of God. So your confidence comes from that. Amen. Okay? So and say, so yes, then you are fearful. You are fearful. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Okay? <clears throat> Children who are listening. <laughs> Let me tell you. So that you understand what you are going through. Okay, you, you go, you have gone through programming. Okay, remember your programming. I don't know, I want, one day I want to take an entire class on it. Probably they'll go crazy if I take that class. Okay? You have different programming which is, they do it. Alpha, beta, delta, theta. These are all different ways of programming. In alpha programming, it's, uh, your, your memory is programmed. Okay? In delta programming, and you who have been talking about, some of you have been gone through Delta programming, and most of you go through it, which is to make you fearless, so that orders are followed without fear, to the dot. And they can go to the next level where they make you into a suicide bomber, a killer, and all that. That's where you have Delta Force and all that terms coming from Delta programming, actually. And many of those Delta Force people are programmed soldiers. So because you have been programmed to be fearless, yet to fear them. Mm. Fearless when it comes to others, but to fear your masters. Mm. And you've been tortured every time. And you've been tortured was almost like a discipline to see, even if you did nothing wrong, once in a while we are pulled down to the dungeons and tortured to keep you in line. This is what happens to. That's why when somebody snitches in the mafia, they show no mercy. Even though he must have done something, why do they kill him? They kill him to so that nobody else snitches. They don't kill him usually for him because he did something. It's more as a lesson to the others. Nobody will leave. So that's the way you were programmed. So remember, now that you have left, your fear is natural. That's a normal way a human being acts. Okay, That's the way you should be. But then there is something else. God has not given you the spirit of fear. You don't have to fear them. You need to have natural fears, which is good. If you have a temperature, you should have a fear. Okay, why am I have a temperature? Am I? If you see fire, don't put your hand into it. These are all natural things. No, you tell a child to be careful with a sharp knife and all. Those are all natural fears. People should have it. You don't take a selfie at the edge of a cliff. You don't do stuff like that. Okay. But the thing is that when they 
program you, you will go to the edge of the cliff and also jump from there when they tell you. That's programming. So now that you have got saved, you are saying we were never such a wuss earlier. Yes, that was programming. That was not a natural. That was a programming. That altar that was created was programmed that way. But now you are natural and you have become normal. So these fears, some of them are not right, but it will go away. As you hang on to God and reject that spirit of fear, you will have that quiet confidence in the Lord and you will overcome that. So how do we stop ourselves from being deceived? How would we know that it is from God and what is not, what is from God and what is not from it's God? It's a process. It's a process. Like I said, uh, you know, the simple illustration we use in my rural meetings when I go is that I say, when you go to a bank, like in India, our currency notes are 500 denomination and 2000, the higher ones. Let us say you, uh, you put a deposit of 50,000. The teller, no, old days, not today. The teller, old days, he will take it and he will count. And it's very fast. Suddenly he will stop. And he takes one note and holds it, the note, and he tells you, uh, sir, this is That's not fake. fake. Mm. And the question is, how did he know? Mm. It's because he has been handling true notes all his life. That is, even by touch, he's able to sense the one which is fake. Okay? So in the same way, if you do not want to be deceived, the more you deal with the truth, you will understand a lie. The problem people get deceived is because they don't know the truth. And we have given you five pillars of truth. God is truth. Jesus is truth. Holy Spirit is truth. The word is truth. And we have to become the truth. And we are in the process of becoming true. Replacing, replacing, replacing everything with the word of God. And the more it happens, the it's not that the Holy Spirit is not able to show us, hey, this is false. But the Holy Spirit will show it through the word. And because mm. we do not have the word in us, he's not, even if we were to speak, we will not hear. Mm. We will not hear. We will not, we will not understand the Holy Spirit is speaking. So the more you grow in truth, the less and less you will be deceived. Okay. Question number 11, Pastor. We are really struggling with everything that is going on. We are struggling with our going to heaven. Would we make it to heaven? The standards are so high. I was always a big party animal and I'm still, I still am. Now I can't go out to a party and drink wine, have a good time because I'm a Christian. Kind of tough. I love movies. I love going out. Can't do that all anymore. Being a Catholic, I could do it all. <laughs> struggling. Shopping was my favorite pastime. Listening to the messages looks like I have to change drastically. Struggling with all this. Yeah. That's a, that's a genuine struggle that has come. Can I, can we have John chapter one and verse 17? Okay. So that uh, I will show you. See, this is the division that comes between the old and the new Amen. testaments. For the law was given through Moses, mm. but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay. When the law was given, I told, I, I've always said three categories of people who come into the kingdom of God. One is Catholics, the other is Jews, and the other which is Muslims. Okay? They, in so many ways, struggle because their religion was a religion of rules. Mm. And of which the people used to joke that the best life is a Catholic's life. You can drink, do whatever, then Sunday go confess it all. No problem, and you're fine. He'll give you some indulgences to do, and that is fine. He said that's the best way to live. You can sin and 
get easy forgiveness also. These were the jokes we had as Catholics. Okay, but scripture says what came through Jesus Christ is grace and, and truth. truth. Okay, you have to understand both came. So when we are teaching you these things, what we are trying to teach you is the truth. And the problem is no man can keep the truth on his own. If you receive the truth like the law, it will only kill you. It will only kill you. But you have to receive the truth with grace. With grace. Okay, with grace. And when grace comes in, meaning, there's room to fail. Okay, I'm telling believers, there is always room to fail. Okay, I'm not saying you should fail, but there is room to fail. God is a father. God is a father. And you're all newborn children. And we, as parents, we're never tough on our little children. We gave them room to fail. We help them through it all. And God will help you. Only thing is because you have grown now, you're old, and you indulge in these things for so long, it is better to make a clean break. It becomes easier. Like a big party animal. Like, I have nothing against parties. As long as the parties are kosher. What do you talk? What you do in the party is what matters. When we as a church, when we have our parties, or like, you no, know, we party every week, by the way. You guys have no clue. We party every Sunday we gather, birthday, everything. We have a blast. But everything that happens is kosher. There is no loose talk. There is no drinking, no boozing, no smoking. None of those things happen. When we have a really good time, uh, what we say, it is all clean. It is all clean. And uh, after some time, there will be a transition that takes place where you will start enjoying what is clean. Mm. So the problem is, if you are trying to still party with a set of people who are unsaved, then it's going to be difficult. Then you are becoming part of the mixed multitude. And remember Israel's history, the ones who created trouble and who fell away first was the mixed multitude. So what I would say is that there is always an alternative. That's what we try to offer our young people. There is secular music, worldly music. I don't want to call it secular. There is worldly music and there is Christian music. So we are not saying, don't listen to worldly music. Yes, listen to this because mm. they want to listen to music. There are secular, worldly, carnal Hollywood movies. And there are Christian movies. We are not saying, don't watch movies. Watch these movies. Okay. And the, this thing about movies and all, let me tell you, because you love movies. My issue with movies is not movies. My issue with movies is that if you look at movies, my question to movies is this, my question to myself. Can I watch this movie along with the Spirit of God that is in me? Mm. It's a simple question. Some of the movies are fantastic movies, absolutely fantastic, if you were to cut out a couple of scenes and change their language. Language. My question is, why do you need those scenes? And why do you need that language? This movie will sell without it. So why is it put in there? It is not to attract audiences. No, the so, movie, it is not even to sell. It will sell actually better because the other, it's an agenda behind yeah, it because agenda. the other audience will also come for it. Remember, let us take US. US got a population around 300 million. There's almost 50 to 80 million who are absolute solid Christians over there. And they will not go for any of these movies. But if it is a fantastically well-made movie, clean, 
thrilling plot, everything, and the word goes out that both categories can see that they will also go for it. You know, but there is an agenda behind it. There's an agenda behind it. You know, the thing is that if I keep listening filth, it will automatically come out of our mouth. Why doesn't come out in a language? Because we are not listening to that. A child says a wrong word, immediately we catch the where did you get that word from? Sometimes the child doesn't even know what he's saying. Where did you get it from? And we realize he heard it from somebody else. <clears throat> so the problem is with the movie, there are scenes and there is language. And therefore, we also have God living in us. And therefore, we say we are not going for those movies. We are not saying we are not going for movies or we do not watch movies. We are seeing we are saying we do not go for those movies. And then some of us, like Pastor Vijay and me and all, uh, we are pastors. One of the reasons, even if we want to see a movie, which is good, and if it's in a theater, we won't go to a theater to watch it because we don't want somebody else falling because of us. Mm-hmm. We may be going for a kosher movie, and another young believer passes that way. He is not seeing what movie we are watching. They will say, oh, pastor goes for a movie, so I can go for any movie. So we caused a younger brother to fall. fall. So that's the reason we don't go to, it's not that we don't watch, I mean, we don't have time to watch movies. We can, if you tell, let me tell you, two of the greatest movies in the popular fiction. In India, one is called Shole, the other is called Titanic. I haven't seen either of these movies till today. <laughs> Yet if you tell me the plot, I will tell you the plot because I read it up all for our illustrations. And I've done the scene also like this. But I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> I haven't lost anything. By, I haven't missed anything in life by not seeing this movie. Amen. <laughs> okay. So it's not a big thing. But what I am saying is, that, and I will never go to a theater with my wife. It's a waste of money. She falls asleep. Five minutes later, she'll be snoring over there. Because we, in our entire married life, we went for one movie because our eldest son was pushing us, please, 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 please go. Finally, we said, okay, we will go, honey. We went over there. I came out. I forgot the name of the movie. I couldn't even remember the name of the movie. She had no clue. I think she fell asleep halfway. So that's that's my that's my wife. If you want her to put her to sleep, put a movie. She'll fall asleep. So there are people like us also. The world will call us weird. I think we are normal. Okay? But what I'm saying, don't worry about it, okay? I can go to a party and drink wine, okay? Wine? I'll never make a law, thou shalt not drink wine, because it's there in the Bible. But I will say sip, don't drink. Not like this, sip. <laughs> and uh, I'm very happy today, okay? See, it's good, I got my sugar back. Hmm? That's it. No, that's it, that's, that's it. No, so, uh, like I said, no, those years I was in that civilian job, uh, not job, civilian, this thing, going into the army parties, everybody drank. Everybody drank. And that was absolutely clear I would only drink Sprite. I didn't even want to drink Thumbs Up there because they should not mistake I was drinking rum. Because mm. I was there as the only civilian among all these officers. And in India, in Indian terms, you would understand full colonels and brigadiers and CMP, CO, CMP is core of the military police, this thing, and the military police man is drunk and crying and telling me all his stories and all, and I'm helping them all out <laughs> through it all, okay, through it all, so we are very, very clear about these things, but I'm saying is that some of these things, it's better to leave it, because like I said, each one knows himself. Each one knows himself. You have known the way you have come. 
you have no the areas in which you struggle which is not difficult for like i say no i can go to any mall in the city doesn't bother me but i cannot walk into a bookstall mm. even a secular bookstall no crossword or all these bookstalls over there i, I don't go i've gone to all those places once or twice and no immediately which section i will go i know and then i'll waste two hours over there picking all those books from the old days reading them flipping through oh these ones have come nice it's a waste of time i may end up buying also there's one bookstall in opposite, opposite the secretariat what is the name of that i forgot uh, uh, it's basically british library post no 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 not a british library the second hand bookstall on the oh, old best, best buy best books and best books best buy best oh boy three floors they are there and i know all the sections over there <laughs> you will get books which are not available anywhere over there i haven't gone there for years together but every time i go there i wish can i stop and go in there <laughs> so each one knows their weaknesses and flee those weaknesses if they are harmful if they are not harmful it's fine like you know but wine will go to alcohol alcohol will go to something else then against to shopping was my favorite pastime my question to you is would you shop like that anymore because shopping is basically money and the question is do we let me tell you something to believers who are listening every pi the kingdom of god on earth needs it's already there within the church only issue is people don't hear where to give and how to give they just spend it everything god is not printing when somebody prays for provision god is not printing money and sending into their houses it's all within there the body of christ the entire body of christ on planet earth every need is already there only thing many who have it shop if you were to know we are stewards of god's resources that this money is not mine it's not money because in the book of deuteronomy god says it is i who gave you can we have that verse up there so, reckoner uh, ready reckoner uh, uh, deuteronomy chapter 8 8 or 9 if i'm right okay sorry. it is i who gave you the power to make wealth even if it is inherited somewhere down the line somebody was touched Okay so you have to look at the source of wealth always 8 yeah 817 yeah 817 also that one in hagai the golden silver yeah, mine so. yeah then if you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth you shall remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you power to get wealth so where did it come from it came from god so we don't own anything and job understood it very well his wife was very upset because in one day the multi billionaire became a pauper hmm. one day it was gone and he is looking at it it's a natural calamity as if but he says naked i came naked i go it is god's hmm. he's got the right to take it if he's got the right to give it he's got the right to take it can i have that hagai hagai to eight hagai to eight also a guy to wait actually 7 and 8 if you can continue to will be there yeah i will shake all the nations and they shall come to the desire of all the nations i'll fill this temple with glory says the lord of hosts the silver is mine the gold is who's even the gold thing that is hanging on your neck your earring and your necklace is god's 
We ne- never made any of these things. We did not create anything. Everything belongs to God. The earth and the fullness of what is in it belongs to God. So once we get the picture of stewardship, stewardship, then we will realize, you know, these are the things that helps you to break away from these iniquities. Mm. If I know who my money belongs to, I'll be very careful about how I spend it. Careful about Like let's say you are working in a government. Let us say he's working in a government office or a private office and for a particular project he is given 50,000 rupees. Want to be careful how he spends oh, yeah. Because he knows it's not his money. Hmm. It's not his money. <laughs> he knows every pie has to be accounted. Why did we think we don't have to give accounts to God? Not that God is a miser either. He's not a miser either. He, when the young boy comes back, has a party. So he's not a miser either. So we don't consider, but we are talking about it. Be very careful we do not spend money on things of the flesh, which does not have much eternal value. Okay, so that's how. That's why God has shut down everything for the past 40 days. Nobody is shopping. <laughs> Nobody is, no tourists, no shopping. No dining out, no dining in. Okay, everybody's life is very, very simple. And the first thing you learn in these 40 days is that you, don't need much. you, you don't can actually live. Don't need you, don't, much to survive. you don't need much to live. You don't need much to live. Everybody is comfortable. Nobody seems to be complaining. Yet, no, everybody is waiting <laughs> for the lockdown to go. So that's how I would say, like, deal with those issues. Look at has your entire body belonging to God. Offer your body. Body is a temple of God. He bought it with a price. And allow grace to operate one day at a time. Begin with that prayer. Offer it to God and say, help me through there. Don't look at long term. One day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. One day you succeed, you fail, go back to God, repent. Next day you succeed, two days you succeed, three days you succeed. A little later you will realize Lifestyle, like we say, this lockdown has taken 40 days, 41 days. Hardly anything has changed in our life. Because we are always locked in with God. So we were not bothered by these things happening. Actually, our workload, I mean, if the lockdown goes, the only thing that will change for us is that we will study more and preach less. Our workload will decrease. We will not be preaching seven days a week. We will go back, revert to three days a week. No, that's what we will revert to. But nothing has changed in our lives. Basically, meaning, if the lockdown is over, so much should not change in your life. Even the students who are studying, what do you do? You study, go to college, come back. It's not that you oh, haven't seen movies for 40 days. Now for the next 40 days, I'm going to see at least one movie a day. No, that was never our lifestyle. Yes. It was never our lifestyle. So little by little by change will happen. And before you know, you will get used to it. But whatever you get rid of, See that you replace it with yes. something good. Yeah, that amen. is important. Yes. You have to replace it. Don't leave a vacuum. Yeah, you leave exactly. it a vacuum, the devil will come and trouble you with all kind of things. And, it, and it, it's know? like things of God is like an acquired ap- uh, taste. Appetite. Over yeah. a period of time, you'll begin to enjoy it yes. more and more. And that's that's how it happens. happens yeah. No, it happens. Like none of us were born with our taste buds. Yes. Oh, I was born, when I was in my mother's womb, I was craving for dosa. No, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't even know what it was. Each of us, what we like is, these are all acquired. All acquired. And give it 40 days, you can change your taste buds. Amen. 7 days, 14 days, 21 days, you can change your taste buds. You will struggle a bit. I mean, give me for 7 days, I will drink lime juice without water, uh, sugar. 
I made all those faces for the camera. So I got my sugar back. <laughs> okay. My wife, poor thing, got calls from all around the world and text messages saying, what are you doing to our pastor? Okay. But I go, I go, I, it worked. I got my sugar back. Okay. But it's not that you cannot change. <laughs> you cannot change. If you want to, you can change. But the problem, thing is that I never had issues with sugar. My health is okay. I never had issues with sugar, salt, any of those things. So, but one day maybe get rid of sugar too. So pastor. you have to replace. Another yes, question, pastor, question number four, Pastor. Four. Yes. How does it help a woman to grow in faith and walk with God when she does a lot of study and research about things that is happening in her life and having gathered loads of knowledge on many things and make a decision on it? With so much knowledge, she sounds like a wise woman. Should women be like that? And is there a chance to slip from God and faith uh, and, and faith having so much of information or it really helps to grow in faith and walk with God? See, acquiring information is never, never a waste. Mm. Information, secular or otherwise, which are true information, it's always helpful. We all studied for years in schools, colleges and all, and we are not using all the information. But there are times suddenly when we need it, that information comes in useful. So when we are meditating upon the entire word of God and acquiring the knowledge of God, we may not need all that knowledge all the time. Mm. But there will be times when you will need it or somebody else will need it and you have the knowledge. Like Dr. Richard is sitting over there. Do we know medicine? No. When we had a question, I had to refer to him. So we got the answer. It doesn't work. Now, is this knowledge waste? No. From that knowledge, she took so many years to study to get that knowledge. And from that knowledge came to me, is gone. And so many people have received it. So gathering information is not a bad thing. But we don't have to gather so much of it, so many, like, you no, know, how many verses th- are there in the Bible? What difference does it make? Mm. A lot of people have information which is for general knowledge, which is not knowledge at all. GK. No, GK. <laughs> you know? How many books of the Bible are there? 66. Have you read them, sir? No. <laughs> okay. So your information is useless. Okay. It's good to know 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, if you have read them. Mm. If you haven't read them, then it is just useless information. Okay, some Bible quiz, it's like uh, Tom Sawyer, right? Tom Sawyer uh, is never goes to call church, he never goes to Sunday school, but then the new judge is in town and his daughter is pretty, Becky, and he suddenly realizes that day the Sunday school teacher is going to give um, the awards. Award. And it's depending upon how many tickets you have got. Red tickets and yellow tickets for all the stuff that happens in Sunday school. And he's a smart fellow. He's got marbles. He's got a lot of stuff. He sells all that for the tickets. And that day the Sunday school teacher asked, how many people have these many tickets? And Tom said, stands up. And he's the last fellow the Sunday school ever thought would stand up. And he looks at him, counts the tickets. The tickets is Number is right. He can't believe it. This fellow has got all the tickets. So as guest of honor, he's allowed to sit with the judge and the daughter. And that was his entire plan. Does he know the Bible? No. Has he ever gone for Sunday school? No. Does he have the tickets? Yes. Where is he sitting? Next to Becky. <laughs> and all the boys sitting there are gritting their teeth because they realize this fellow traded all the marbles and stuff. A lot of people are like that. They have all this silly, useless information from the Bible which is not edifying them or anybody. Mm. Does not edify anybody. Okay, let me ask you this question. How many verses are there in the book of Genesis? What difference does it make? 
Are you playing numerology? <laughs> the thing is that we need information. And the Bible is divine, godly information, which we can apply to life. Okay? And so a woman who gathers all this information, uh, no, a lot of information does not, if you only take it as null uh, information, it can cause you to slip. But it's genuine knowledge of God that will, see, a genuine knowledge of God will always cause you to humble yourself. Amen. The reason is because you really get to know who God is. Yes. Nobody, nobody walks with God who knows God walks, uh, it's the ignorant fellows who have information of the Bible who doesn't really know God walk like that. Yes, yes, yes. The others are very, very, very careful because they know who God is. They know the severity of God. They know the kindness of God. They know God is very, very humble. That's why sometimes it's very simple. You look at all these preachers you see on TV. Look at the way they are dressed, the way they walk, the way they talk. And some of the stuff they're saying is fantastic. But you really know, you know that this guy doesn't know God. You also know this guy doesn't really know God. Because if you really know God, he wouldn't be walking like that. He wouldn't be talking like that. He wouldn't be dressing like that. You would know his God. Shucks. You know it very, very clearly, you know. Because you know once, you will encounter people sometimes very, and you want to look at, you know, this guy knows God. Mm. This guy knows God. Because you cannot know God and not change. But you can know about God and never change. Mm. So that's the difference between information here it is talking about. Yes, your information has to become true knowledge of God. And it really helps you to walk with God. Yes, my child. I know which child asked that question. So, so next we are going to the, the theology section. Before we go to the theology section, there's question number 10, Pastor. 10. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pastor Vijay, that's for you, Pastor Vijay. Okay, it says, uh, you talk about how tough you were in a classroom as a professor, mm. but you were saved, right? Where was the grace and mercy you extended? Even though they were not your church members of your church, don't you think that you should have won a soul for the kingdom? From the classroom itself, would you say uh, cannot mix the classroom and church together? That was my that was my job, and it would be con- it would be conflict of interest. Need to know your take on this, and how would you react? Now, first of all, let me tell you the the students that I have in my class are some of the best in the country, and they are the most spoiled also in the country. Uh, their their rooms are uh, five minutes away from the classroom, and uh, they don't have to make their food. Okay, that everything is taken care of. Alright. Um, if this is, this question is from the US, I really, really appreciate the students in the in United States and Canada because most of them, they don't have dorms, uh, like the way we have in India, uh, universities in India. And you have to study, you have to work, you have to uh, do your own chores, you have to come to class and you have to do your best. And it's quite possible that sometimes you might slip in your, in your, in your courses. But the guys who come to my class are, are the cream layer, first of all. They're, they're the top layer in the country. They're very smart. Most of them are, at least. 90% of the, 90% of them are. So like pastor says, you know, I never leave the hands of my weakest students. But in my class, actually, I'm the, I'm the weakest person. Most of them are smarter than me. It's, it's quite, it's quite, I'm, I'm, I'm actually speaking the truth because when I was teaching the class for the first year, those fellows that took me for a ride. Okay. Because I was a rookie. Okay. The next year onwards, I knew my subject. Okay. So, so what, the, the kind of student that I have in my class, they're 
very smart and they are so smart that they try to take loopholes in the courses. So when they come to me, <laughs> so what I am also very fair in my grading. I said, you see, I, I have the I have the power to grade them in a sense that I can grade them in the con- like a continuous evaluation, mid some twenty five percent, mid some to twenty five percent, and some exam fifty percent. So if you score continuously, I'll give you a gra- I'll give you an A grade. So what if you mess up in the first semester, first mid semester? Okay, fine, do one thing, get a hundred or a, get an eighty plus in your final exam. I'll still consider it as a best of best of three. Or best of two, whatever it is, no? So I will always give you the, the, the opportunities to catch up with the course. The problem is, this, most of the guys who come to my class, they are very smart. They try to play the fool with the, ch- with the professors. So I don't give them any leeway. And, uh, and if they know that the professor is a little, uh, you know, younger and slightly rookie, they'll try to play even more, even more, you know, they'll try to be very smart. So I have to, that is where I have to uh, be very careful and uh, as to how to grade them because when I'm grading them also, if I don't give sufficient number of fail grades, <laughs> the, the university is going to pull me up. How come your your classes, like everybody's getting an A? Okay, so th- these are all parameters over there. Now, having said that, uh, did I have the opportunity to share the gospel with them? Yes, I did also. I mean, I have the, I had a humanities uh, class where uh, I was invited as a Christian professor to share about the Bible and Christ in two classes, one on general view of Christianity, and I spoke from Psalm 139, and the second class was on the Ten Commandments. I spoke on both, and many of my students were there in the class because they had to take the course that is a compulsory course for all of them. Their jaws just dropped because they never heard anything like uh, like that about Christianity. And some of the students after the, after the talk was over, they were so touched, they started clapping. I never saw any, any student clapping for a professor after he finishes the lecture. So Christianity works. When you preach the, when you speak about the love of God and about, the, about how God is loving and how He is merciful and kind, you have those opportunities to show. But when it come, came to my class, boy, I have to be absolutely clear as to where I'm coming from. I don't take my, uh, my subject lightly, and I don't want my students all to take me for granted. And when the class, when the opportunities are there to be to do the best, and you're already a pampered lot, everything is given to you on time. Okay, you have to just wake up in the morning, go to the mess, finish off your uh, stuff, and come to the class. That also because you are in the night all the night watching internet movies and playing games, and then you come to the class and say, "Sir, give me grace." It's not possible that way. So I have to mix both truth and grace at the at that time, right? <laughs> so and I also give them opportunities to to catch up with the course okay i give them opportunities it's not that i'm always giving them you know continuous grading if you mess up in one 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 uh, mid-sem and you'll flunk your course or your grade gets messed up no okay you didn't do well in the first mid-sem and the second mid-sem catch up in the final exam i'll give you a grade i'll give you a better grade best of three so I, I I did all that. I did all that. So when I was tough with them, they really deserved it. Okay, <laughs> they, deserved, they deserved it. Yeah, master. You had anything to add to that? Now also, like the you're talking about there, uh, he was also doing his PhD at that time. And when his wife couldn't get through to him, I had to get through to him on the phone because he was a lab animal. Okay, 48 hours and all in the lab. So you see how it is, especially because he was both teaching and finishing his PhD. So time-wise, so and at the level he's teaching because it's engineering. But we do have in India in the colleges and all Bible study groups and all mm-hmm. that. And uh, some faculty gets attached to it and their houses 
become the place yes. where kids were searching, believing, and all. And it d- depends from department to department, subjects you are teaching, the kind of students you get, the pressure you face from the system. Like I worked in a country where I had to literally sign an undertaking that I will not proselytize. Mm. Yet literature is the best subject where you can talk about the Christ, gospel. the gospel without mentioning Christ. Amen. Amen. Mm. Christ. And I baptized my students. I didn't proselytize. They got saved. Mm. I've never saved anybody, not till today. But, you know, and I'll tell you, it's interesting. It was very, very cold. We've gone, uh, we went up in the mountains. Once we tried thinking about taking them, few baptisms, so those who are listening will understand. Once we thought we'll go early in the morning and do it in the river, but the river was cold and previous day somebody had been washed away by the floods. So there were police all over there looking for the body, so we couldn't. So we went further up the mountain. There was a tiny little trickle of water flowing around. So we got spades. We dug a huge Thank hole there and got the water to flow Praise into God. it <laughs> and filled it. And, and baptized. we baptized people Hallelujah. in that. And by the time they came out, they were covered with mud and all. We told them, now you quietly go and have a shower in the river. <laughs> Another place, it was cold winter. And uh, what we used to do is, those days, remember, this is not the kind of time you're thinking about. They have this wooden sauna kind of place and two compartments. What we do is we heat stones in the fire and you take those red hot stones and you put it into this part so the water gets warm wow. and then you baptize them. Wow. The baptize them. And some of them whom I baptize might be listening now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have done all this. Okay, and this some of them are my students. Okay, so students. So God gives opportunities and we use these opportunities at his level. Remember, it's a university and engineering students, yeah, they're coming very clear this is what it is, but our testimony. And like you said, no, you get opportunities to directly to talk about Christianity, then you have Bible studies, and the students come through. Yeah. Hmm. Um, we only take any questions on theology, Pastor? Uh, we have finished the rest? Yes. Pretty much. Actually, there's okay. one question, but we already answered it yesterday, so. Okay, okay. So. Uh, we'll take a I have a question number six, no? Yeah. That yeah. question number six? Yeah. Hezekiah, yeah. Question number six. Hezekiah shows his kingdom. No, no, question number six. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is already we answered about yesterday about Islam. Oh, this is about Islam, Pastor. No. This, this brother is from. I hear, the, yeah. All the, are the, all the other. We'll yeah. answer that? Kind of, I thought about Islam yesterday, we talked about it. Okay, anyways, we want to talk, take it, yeah. Pastor. I have a question, don't you, I don't want to ask openly because I'm from, mm. how can you be so sure that all other religions are lying and Jesus is the only way? I'm not saying all the others are lying. All our uh, religions only talk about a life on earth. None of them can, can promise you, guarantee you eternity. Hmm. Tell me, which religion can guarantee you that if you do all this, they will guarantee you. No, Islam doesn't guarantee you. will say inshallah. Inshallah, yes. <laughs> inshallah. You have no guarantee. Buddhism doesn't even talk about heaven. Hinduism, what is it? How many migrations, how many births? Nobody has any clue. Okay? If you ask to a Buddhist, he will say his greatest desire is that he will migrate, 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 transmigration of souls and ultimately end up as a lama. 
And then I tell them, really, do you see in those lamas, you want to be like them? He said, no, sir. I said, okay, that fellow itself is struggling. Okay, he drinks, he boosts, he womanizes, and he wears his saffron robes also. We are not condemning anybody. I am saying, this is all man-made. man's attempts to reach God. So the, the issue here it is when you look at, we are looking at eternity. And the, the issue is, there is only one life. And after that, eternity begins. That's a different life altogether, with God or without God, heaven or hell. Let's put it in simple terms. And when you're talking about migration of souls, let's leave Islam as that, Judaistic or what you call it, uh, monotheistic religions a lot, to those who think about migration of souls. My question to you is this. If you believe in the theory of karma, let's be open about it. Let us say he believes in karma. If he believes in karma, and if he wants to escape and get into a better karmic life, he should remember at least something about his previous life. Yes. Otherwise, mathematically speaking, he could make the same mistakes or worse and end up lower down. Mm. He can end up lower down. Absolutely. So if you believe in the logical, this thing about karma, then karma has to be logical. I don't remember a thing about my previous life because there was nothing like that. Nothing like that. So I'm always left to this mathematical impossibility that I could actually become worse and the next life give further down or go up. That's the issue about it. It's because all these people who come with this theory, that's why scripture says there's only one who came from heaven. That was Jesus Christ. Mm. So he speaks about heaven. He speaks about God. And there was no doubt about anything he speaks about. It's absolutely no doubt about anything that he's speaking about. It's absolutely clear. Very, very clear. Let me ask you if you read the Quran, is heaven very clear? Did Muhammad come from heaven? No. He talks about revelations he got from angel Gabriel. He's not clear. It's not clear at all. There's no clarity there. It's only one who is absolutely clear and very, very clear. It is the Bible, very clear. And Jesus Christ is very clear. He talked about heaven, he talked about hell, and he talked about actual places. And he was giving us real example. This is how it is. So there is somebody who has come. Then the second part of it is that when he is put across, unlike all the other gods, when he is put across, he is put across as a savior. Mm. Savior. He's put, nobody is put across as a savior. He's put across as a savior of all mankind. That's, Muhammad is not a savior. Buddha is not a savior. Krishna is not a savior. He is a destroyer of the sinners to protect the righteous. He's not a savior. There are no saviors in any religion. Who is the one in the religion that saves? So every religion leaves salvation at your own hands. Every religion leaves salvation into your hands. Mm. Islam leaves salvation in your hands. Work out your salvation. <laughs> Buddhism leaves salvation into your hands. Work out. Maybe next birth will be better. Hinduism leaves it. Work out better for you. No religion will talk to you where salvation is out of your hands. It is in somebody else's hands. That's where Christianity is absolutely, totally different. The problem is Christianity has been marred up and made it into another religion. Catholicism, again, it is works. Half the Protestants don't even know what they are believing. But when you come to Christ, you realize what he has really done, that you are saved by grace and grace alone. And then suddenly you realize there is also no condemnation. You know you are saved inside. And you know where you are. That's why we look at life differently. COVID-19 doesn't scare us. Do we take precautions? Yes. Does it scare us? No. It doesn't scare you. You're not scared about death. You're not scared about anything. 
Literally, we are not scared about anything. Why? Because we know the reality of the other side. Because we have experienced it. Either. We are not saying inshallah. Not saying inshallah. Take John chapter 14 and verses 1 to 3. Absolute confident words of Jesus Christ. And we know it is true. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Now tell me, who told that? Buddha said that? No. Krishna said that? No. Vishnu said that? No. Shiva said that? No. Brahma said that? No. Muhammad said that? No. Hmm. Nobody has said this. Nobody has said this. Absolute confidence. I'm going to my father's. I came from there. I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for my children. All those who believe in me will be with the father. And he says, if I come, I will come again and receive you to myself. This is, this is what sets us free. And that is why we put our faith in him. The difference between others is that in religion you put your faith in yourself, your works. In salvation you put your works or your faith on the work, finished work of Jesus Christ. And after that, you are running your race for a reward. Nobody is running for their salvation. Yet you are telling, don't be deceived that you can go back mm-hmm. and you, you can lose your salvation. Meaning you can become an utter rebel and you say, I don't want you. I don't want you. You can go to that point. We believe some Christians say it is not possible. But we look at possibilities in the Bible, it is possible. So we are running a race. We are not running for our salvation. But you have to be very, very sure that you are saved and you will know inside. Because scripture says the very spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, who is inside you, causes you to say, Abba, Father. Let me ask you, which religious person of any religion will call call God Father? Hmm. Nobody. Nobody calls. The Muslim will call Allah Father. The Buddhist will call Buddha Father. No Hindu will call Vishnu Father. Nobody will call. But the simplest child of God who is born again has the confidence and he says every day, Daddy, Abba, Abba, Father, forgive me. And he forgives us. That is our confidence. That's how we walk. That's why even when we fall, we are not worried like others. Oh, I am fall. No, that's my father. My father will spank me, but I am always his son. I am still his son. It doesn't stop me from becoming a son. That is the difference. That is where all the other religions are good for society. Every society is basically formed around a religion. So you have a Muslim society, a Buddhist society, a Hindu society, and Christian societies. Why? It brings cohesion. And you have rules which is God for the society. But if you're going to look at religion as a way to go to heaven, it ain't going to work. There's only one who can take you to heaven. That is God. And he did it through Christ Jesus. No religion will take you to heaven. So it's a waste of time. The fundamental rules of the religion, be honest, don't steal, don't lie, all that's good for society. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So go to the theology section. Yes, we'll go to the theology section. The question is, is, uh, question number five. Yeah, we'll take one question and then, yeah. Abraham was justified and righteous by faith. Even we are justified, righteous by believing Christ. 
then what is seeking righteousness and how do we seek the righteousness of god okay when abraham was justified and righteous by faith like us no like that's an entire teaching altogether how abraham was justified by faith let's look at our part of it how we are justified by faith let's say 30 84 85 84 this 2000 right 36 years ago as a young teenage kid in college i accepted christ or rather christ accepted me mm-hmm. both ways i accepted him he accepted me okay so i was justified meaning i was the imputed the righteousness of jesus christ is imputed in me okay just as if i have never no, never sinned they're all smiling over there not you boys <laughs> i have four monkeys sitting over here smiling away they're distracting me okay <laughs> so what happens is that is meaning god has taken the condemnation away from me and imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ from that day till today we are all growing in righteousness, righteousness. Yes. growing in righteousness okay we are growing in righteousness and we all have to grow in righteousness so you cannot grow in something unless you are seeking it and that's what god is saying seek ye first the righteousness now righteousness is different from holiness righteousness is the ways of god mm. okay when i understood this is the way of god first thing i understood the way of god the way of salvation as a way of god mm. this is the only way i can get saved all my righteousness is like filthy rags before him and i have to believe in god repent of all my works and believe in god and i will be declared righteous i understood one way of god pertaining to salvation so what did i do i humbled myself before god got rid of my notions about salvation received his notion of salvation believed and acted on it i got saved and after that i have to god says my thoughts and your thoughts is like heaven and earth my ways and your ways are like heaven and earth after that i am understanding his ways and my ways doesn't agree take it out put his what is happening i am growing in the righteousness of god in every area every area human relationship and way we work the way every area we are growing in it but there is no condemnation because you are a child growing under the law there was only condemnation under grace there is no condemnation because god is showing you the truth and you are enabling his power to grow and when you do fall one day you go back to god and say daddy i am sorry he said that's fine continue 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 growing because as a father he wants all his children to do well that is growing in righteousness so you look at it like if you are an employer you look you got saved today and then you realize okay let us say let us say simple example let us say joseph is in prison six down months down the line potiphar gets saved he's convicted you know i threw that young man he was a good man now i look at him he looks like a believer okay that's what a believer is maybe he was a believer i'm a believer now he's a believer maybe he's a believer maybe i should have call him out and check with him what did you really do what happened over here he's convicted so what is he going to do he's going to change his ways 
Yeah. You're an employer. You change your ways. You suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I'm an employer. I got to run a company. I got 50 employees and I'm doing them right by them. I have used them to profit and I have not been good to them at all. So as an employer, when you get said, you realize, okay, he realizes he sits back with God and says, Lord, what should I do with them? He says, okay, give them a good bonus. Treat them well. You remember the Christmas story of Oliver, uh, sorry, Charles Dickens? Yes. How he changes Christmas past, yeah. Christmas present, and uh, the ghost of the Christmas past, ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. It's just a vision kind of thing he's taken through time and he's completely converted by the end of it. And he changes. And he was a nasty old man who didn't allow anybody to wish Merry Christmas to him. He was very nasty to his only employee. But he wakes up, he realizes, actually time has in past. These were all visions. And Christmas is right over there. And he's a changed old man. And his employee cannot believe. Anything about Christians, Christmas, you will say, humbug. Don't even hear about it. Now those people come, he gives them a check with a big offering. They are shocked. They can't believe this man has changed. Because why? He saved. And he realized, my ways with people was not right. So that is how you grow. Imagine if you're an employer and you had 20 employees and you were hard on them and you made all your money. You're a multi-millionaire and suddenly you get saved. And you realize, I was not right with them. You, know, you become a kind employer. You find out about each of the employees, you find out how they are doing. Oh, I heard your son is not well. What happened? Okay, no, he's God. He's in the hospital. Don't worry. Take leave for two days. Finish it and come back. And he can't believe because last time you took leave, he cut my salary. What is this? And he says, when you come back, how much did your bill cost? 5,000 rupees here. Take it. What happened? Because you have changed. You have raised. You have changed. You have changed. That is how your ways change. That is how you grow in your relationship with man, in the way you work, in the way you deal with the system, in everything righteousness starts flowing in. And you're growing in your righteousness. And many areas we still do not know. When we read the word of God and we look at it, and God speaks to you and says, Did you see this? Lord, I didn't see that. He says, Now, now apply this in your life. And you realize, Where do I apply it? And you realize, Oh, yes, I did not apply it. I did not apply it. And you're continuing to grow in righteousness. And the Bible it says, Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They shall be filled. And then you come to Hebrews 1.8. The scepter of his kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. So one day if you have grown in righteousness, God can allow you to rule with him. Because he says you have grown in righteousness. Have you noticed every judge is a lawyer? Hmm. Yes. Have you ever seen anybody who was not a lawyer or, uh, appointed as a judge? judge? No. no. Impossible. Impossible. Mm. So God is saying, the scepter of my kingdom is righteousness. If the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness, do you think anybody will rule along with him in millennium reign who is not righteous? righteous. Who has not grown in righteousness? How will you rule? Because you need to be righteous. So everything has its own reason. And God is righteous and people confuse holiness and righteousness. Holiness is who God is. That is his nature. Righteousness is his ways. Ways. And God says, seek righteousness. And we need righteousness. And can you imagine a home where a husband is righteous, the wife is righteous, the children are righteous? What a home it is. Everybody is seeking righteousness in the way they deal with one another. But it doesn't happen. But through it all, we are growing. We are growing. 
you know, forgiving and understanding, asking for forgiveness, humbling ourselves and learning and learning and learning and learning. That's the whole purpose. I always tell our Jesus kids, you're all big. You don't need caretakers. Honestly, you don't need caretakers. You need supervisors just to see for the sake of the system. You don't need caretakers. How many of you are there? Fifteen of you are there. You fifteen of you are there in this home. The eldest takes care of the second one. The second one takes your five old one takes of the ten younger ones. That's the way it should be. Should be. Because you are all modeling. The problem is God had to feed in one, one, one is gone, two is gone, three is gone, four is gone, five is gone, six is gone, seven is gone, eight is gone, nine is gone, ten is gone. He picked the eleventh one and said, you go. This is Jacob's children. Ten rotten kids, the eldest ten. The eleventh one only God could pick. So he made him the elder spiritually and he took care of the rest of them later in life. But imagine it's the other way around. We have righteousness, working it out. And life becomes very, very simple. Very, very simple. And that's what it means, seeking righteousness and growing in righteousness. Yes. We'll stop it here today. We'll look at verse 6 question. Or we'll stop here today. Yeah, yes, okay, we'll stop today. Okay, we have more questions for tomorrow. Okay. Some of the questions which we got late, especially from New York and all, we'll discuss it tomorrow. And we are praying and believing you all came through. You are well. You are hanging in there. You don't have to hang in there. Just stick to God. Hanging in there are all secular terms mm. which we used. We don't hang in there. We walk nicely with God. Amen. Hold Him by hand. Especially all you new believers. Doesn't matter how old you are. Okay, God does not have grandchildren. He has only children. Mm. Please remember, you may be 70 years old, but for God you are a child. And go to him as a child and talk to him every day. Ask him to help you through. Ask him to fill your heart to yourself. There is a scripture in Hebrews 1.9 which says Jesus hated lawlessness. lawlessness. He, you loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. See, first you need to know something has theory. First, you need to know theory. Because without theory, you cannot do practical. None of us were ever sent to the lab first. Mm -hmm. We had to sit in the theory classes, even medicine, right? First theory, then surgery. <laughs> right? MBBS. Most people do not know what MBBS is. Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery. But surgery is later. First is medicine. You sit through the theory classes and then go for surgery. And the same thing everywhere. Only in literature, there is no practical. We experiment on humanity. <laughs> that is humanities and humanity. You are the guinea pigs. We put all our terrible ideas on you and we see nations falling apart. Okay, So this is the theory. You loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Now this is about Christ. And Christ is born in us. And we have to go before God and say, Lord, would you please keep changing me that I too love righteousness and hate lawlessness. This is how you practically go to God. Lord, change me, Lord. Help me to love righteousness and hate. Don't do anything on your own. It will not succeed. You will just flip over to the law and come under condemnation. Do it together with God. That's why God said, I will send you a counselor just, just like, like me. me. You will not be orphans. Just like me. The Holy Spirit shall be in you and be with you. So you have to do walk this walk with the Spirit of God every day. And you have to ask Him to create the appropriate emotions 
the appropriate ideas and the appropriate strength for it to walk into place. And you will realize that's what grace, that's why Bible actually says when man stands before God, no man will boast. Because it will be all. It's God's idea, God's emotions, God's power. Mm. Your body. One day at a time. And it's not difficult. And when you fall, he's your father. He picks you by hand, you go to him and daddy picks you up, brushes off all the dust and the scars and says, hold on to me. You fell because you were trying to do it on your own. Don't fall again. Okay, And if you fall, don't worry, many of you are struggling, but that's because you came to the Lord so late. That's why you are struggling, because the old nature became very strong. But that does not matter. Even Abraham entered the promised land only at 75. And he fell very soon. (laughs) Not like the way you have fallen. He sold his wife, the Pharaoh, literally. Okay, But God brought him out. And he was restored and became the man of God. Okay, So please don't worry about it. Just continue this walk. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you. We thank you. Thank you for all these questions from all these dear ones, Lord. The entire spectrum of brethren who just came to the Lord and struggling with their old lifestyle and the new lifestyle they are learning. And the other spectrum, those who have been abused in SRA with Oh, Father, and suicidal tendencies, entire spectrum of people and others caught in between, Lord. But you are the Father of them all. And you are there with each one of them, even as we are praying, Lord. Every one of them, you are present with them. The Spirit of God, I know you are with them. So I pray, Lord, you would reach out and touch them. And meet them at their point of need. But I begin with the extreme cases, O Lord. I rebuke every spirit of death to leave in Jesus' name. Command the spirit of suicide to leave God's children in Jesus' name. Command the spirit of depression, the spirit of heaviness. We know it is a spirit of heaviness to leave in Jesus' name. That you will Clothe them with your praise, O Lord, that they will open their mouths and start singing and the spirit of heaviness will leave, the spirit of suicide will leave and I recommend to all who are listening, struggling, keep on playing gospel music and sing along and you will see the spirits will leave. You have to do practical things and I speak healing into bodies, whatever disease it is. If it is not time for them to go home, Nobody will go before their time. They will fulfill God's purpose in their generation and then only they will rest with their fathers. It is written about David. He fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and then he rested with his fathers. And I pray everyone who is hearing will believe it and confess it, O Lord. I will not die but live and do the works of the Lord. So whatever diseases it is, Whichever way it has come, we take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I bind every spirit of infirmity, whether it is cancer, whether it is coronavirus. We don't care what disease it is. We command it to leave the bodies in Jesus' name. Leave in Jesus' name. No one will die before their time. No one will die before their time. They will live. And they will serve God. And I speak peace into every home where there is so much violence. Oh, Father, I command that spirit of addiction to leave these men, Lord, the alcoholics, Father. 
Oh, Father, I command that spirit of addiction to leave, that they would be willing and obedient to forsake that bottle, oh, Father. And I pray you would restrain that violent streak in them, Lord, that these poor sisters don't get beaten up, oh, Father. Because it's locked down and they cannot even run or escape, oh, God. Therefore, we speak your peace into these homes. We bind the spirit of conflict, aggression, violence. We command you to leave in Jesus' name and we plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over these homes, O Lord. Let there be restoration, O Lord. What is impossible with man is possible with God, O Lord. You said it is possible, Lord. Work out restoration and reconciliation in homes, O Lord. Turn the hearts of the husbands back to the wives and the wives back to the husbands. Turn the hearts of the parents back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the parents. Let there be peace. Let there be reconciliation in Christian homes, O Lord. Mm. That Christ can be enthroned in every home, Lord. The God of peace will walk in their houses, O Lord. The word says the God of peace shall soon crush Satan under your feet, Lord. Only then can Satan be under our feet, Lord, when the peace of God takes over our lives. That's what I speak and I pray for every person who's listening, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Those who are struggling, Father, I pray they will supernaturally experience the provision of God because you are the same God. You do not change. They may be locked down. They may have no access to anything. But, Father, you are the God who sent ravens to Elijah, prepared a widow to feed her last morsel, and then saw that she and the household had enough till the famine was over. We will not shorten your arm by our unbelief, for we release, O Lord, that you will reach out and touch people, and by faith they will receive provision in any area, in every area of their life, O Lord. That God is their Father, and he watches over everything, Lord. Reach out and touch them and meet them at their point of need, O Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. We commit the rest of the week into thy hands, O Lord. Weekend is coming, but it's been the same for everybody. But I pray, Father, those who are working online will get a off and they will be able to tune in and be with you and spend more time with you during this weekend, Lord. Thank you, Father, thank you. By faith, we continue to walk in your rest. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.